So as I mentioned before, we are continuing a series today called Beyond These Walls. And in this series, we're talking about what does it mean to be a church. But one of the things we have to start with as a church is recognizing that even that word church carries some connotations and carries some meaning with it when we hear the word church. And typically when we hear the word church, often what we think of first is we think of a building, like where those of us that are in person, where we're in right now, we're surrounded by walls and a roof over our head, and we are here together physically. But that's not the definition of church that's used in the New Testament. Or sometimes when we think about church, we think, well, we go to church, or church is an event that happens on a Sunday when we gather. But that's also not the definition that is used in the New Testament. In fact, the word church has multiple meanings. And last week, we started this series off by looking at the word that Jesus and Paul and uh, Luke and the other New Testament authors used when they described the gathering of followers of Jesus. They used this word, ekklesia. And this was a word borrowed from their common Greek language at the time. And this is a word that doesn't describe or a building or an event. In fact, the word ecclesia describes an assembly of people gathered for a common purpose. Whenever Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and we're going to go to the letter he wrote to the church in Corinth later this morning, he is writing to the assembly of people who have a common purpose located in Corinth. And so today we are going to be talking about one of the things that is uh, a hallmark and what is an important part of being an ecclesia, and not just this local church, but for any local church and any gathering of believers, and that is spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are something that the Holy Spirit gives to us that we share with one another to build up the ecclesia. And if you've been around our church for a while, you might remember that in 2019, so two years ago, we did two series on this topic um, back to back. And I'm not going to be able to condense everything we talked about in those 10 weeks into 20 minutes today. And so for some of us, this might feel like a bit of a recap, a bit of an update, or maybe this is a new topic. Maybe you haven't heard about spiritual gifts before. And so today's going to be kind of like an overview and an introduction into what spiritual gifts are and why they're part of a local ecclesia, why they're important in a church. And one of these other foundations we're talking about that ties into this is we talked about how every follower of Jesus is called into a life of continual spiritual growth. There is no point where we've arrived and we understand everything that we ever need to know about who God is because God is always revealing more about himself to us. And secondly, we mentioned last week about how one of the things that's really important to us is that our faith is lived out in community and in relationships with each other. And spiritual gifts highlight this because our spiritual gifts don't work if we're isolated, because all spiritual gifts involve other people in them. And so that's what we're going to dive into today, that there is a place for every follower of Jesus to serve each other with the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit empowers with us. Now, that's a big, long sentence that needs some unpacking. And so I want to take us to what really is the foundation for spiritual gifts in Scripture, and it happens during the Gospels. And so in our New Testament, we have four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all four of them record this event of Jesus' baptism. 
So Jesus, we only know two things about him really from the time when he is born. We know about his birth and we know about Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph. And then there's this one story about when Jesus is about 12 years old that his parents leave him behind in Jerusalem and they don't realize for three days. So parents in the room, if you have ever left your kids somewhere, you're in good company. Mary and Joseph did the same. Now, if you found your kids within three days, you're a better parent than Mary and Joseph. I mean, that should encourage us, right? Kind of a low bar. I, I, I think our standards should be a little higher than that. But we don't know really anything about Jesus' life from when he's, you know, this one instance when he's 12 and he gets left behind at the temple, and then when he's in his early 30s, his ministry begins. And his ministry begins with his baptism. And this is how uh, Matthew records and tells us about this so that we know about this later. In Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17, it says this, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Now, at this moment, when it talks about the Spirit of God, that is the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. And so we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all interacting with each other as one God together in this moment. But what's important to recognize about this is that Jesus' ministry did not begin until the Holy Spirit descended on him at his baptism. And so as Jesus goes, as we read everything else that happens in the Gospels, we need to recognize when we read that, that that is the Holy Spirit with Jesus empowering him and being, you know, part of how Jesus does everything he does. And so Jesus himself is fully God and fully man. And early on in the church, there was this teaching circulating, well, Jesus was only God. There was nothing human about him. And so Paul, when he's writing to the Philippian church, he includes this declaration of saying, no, 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 that's not right. Instead, this is how Paul describes Jesus. He says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And so when we read this and we put this in, in combination with Matthew 3 and the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus, we recognize that the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus' ministry is the same Holy Spirit that gives us spiritual gifts today, is the same Holy Spirit that is empowering and building up the church, that is equipping us to do the things we talked about last week, to go and make disciples of all nations, to be Jesus' witnesses in, and at the time he talked about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, for us to be witnesses of who God is, where we are locally, beyond, even further, and to the ends of the world. All of that is empowered by the Holy Spirit working in us. And so when we talk about spiritual gifts, um, the definition of spiritual gifts that I like to work with and we're going to unpack this morning is that um, the spiritual gifts are a specific ability that is given to all followers of Jesus by the Holy Spirit for the sake of ministering to one another. This is how and one of the primary ways that the Holy Spirit empowers us and equips us so that we can do the things that Jesus taught to his disciples about, that Jesus taught about in his ministry to care for people, to minister to them, to lead them closer to Jesus. And so I want to unpack this and talk first about the specific ability, and then we're going to talk about the rest of this definition a little bit as well. But when I say spiritual gifts, um, spiritual gifts are something that are different 
from our natural talents and our learned skills, but God still works through our talents and skills to minister to one another. And, and this is a distinction that I made in the series that um, two years ago that I look back and think, ah, you know, Brian, I wish I would have said that a little differently. Because if we think only about spiritual gifts, we can think that God only works through our spiritual gifts. But God works through everything we are when we are serving one another. God works through every ability and skill and talent He has given us. And in fact, one of the developing themes of the New Testament was this theology of vocation, which is some big words that basically just say that the early church understood that no matter what your job was, no matter what you did to make a living, what you did to provide for your family, what you did, those were all ordained vocations, meaning those, everything you do is something that God can work in and through to shape the world. It's not just spiritual gifts that God can work through, but spiritual gifts are a major way that the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And so, we need to recognize God still works through our skills and talents, not just our gifts. We need all that we are for God to work through to empower and equip one another and to achieve the purposes that God came to earth to achieve and the purposes that He has given to the whole church to carry out now. And so there's a word in that definition that I've used a couple times there called minister. And minister is another one of those words that carries many uh, different kind of definitions to it. And you might be thinking, well, a minister is another word for a pastor or a priest or someone who leads a congregation. And that's, that's true in a noun. But the verb to minister is what we're using here, the verb, the action word. And so to minister to someone is to be an expression of God's grace towards them especially when this involves revealing God's love and helping someone grow in their faith. Anytime you are part of helping someone else see Christ's love, to see the way God is working in their lives, to encourage them to take a step of discipleship, you are ministering to that person. It is not a role just for someone who has a title of clergy or pastor or priest. Ministering is something that every one of us does to someone else, and we do together when we're helping each other grow in our faith. And that ties back to what I said before about how churches are communities. We are an assembly of people gathering and living out our faith in relationships with one another. And so, to unpack this topic of spiritual gifts further, we're going to go to the letter of 1 Corinthians. And when, one of the things that helps us understand the New Testament letters is we need to recognize that we are reading someone else's mail when we're reading the New Testament letters. We are reading the mail that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. And if you read reflectively, if you read and you say, well, why did Paul need to write these things? Why did Paul need to write such a long letter to the Corinthian church? Well, frankly, the Corinthian church was a mess. It was a disaster. Corinth was a massive, important trade city um, that kind of connected the eastern and western halves of the Roman Empire. And so Paul knew that a strong church in Corinth could have incredible impact on the world. But this church was messed up. They had a lot of problems. And so Paul writes these letters to the church of Corinth to try and correct and steer and guide them towards who they need to be as a local group of believers. And so, we're going to skip past most of the letter, and we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 12 and start with this part where Paul writes this, 
and he tells them, he says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. And Paul needed to write this because in the Corinthian church, they were treating spiritual gifts as a hierarchy and way of ranking people in their faith, of saying, well, only the people with these gifts are the important ones in the church, and and these are the lesser gifts. And they were really messing themselves up with this, of trying to make this hierarchical understanding of it. And so people were trying to fake gifts to get the status and recognition that went through them. And Paul is laying that all bare and saying, no, 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 there's different spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them. There's different service, but we serve the same Lord. He's trying to level the playing field on this. And then he makes the next verse that is, I think, the most important verse about spiritual gifts in all of Scripture. He says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. So we can help each other, and some translations say so we can build each other up, so we can minister to one another, so that we can express God's grace and His love and His presence to one another. That is the purpose of spiritual gifts. And what that also points out is that if spiritual gifts are being used for personal gain, if someone is using their spiritual gift to try to control or manipulate or gain things for themselves, they are not using that spiritual gift properly. And so spiritual gifts can be used in unhealthy ways. And then what Paul does next after this is he gets into a listing of gifts, and there's multiple listings of spiritual gifts within the New Testament, and I'm actually not going to read through all the gifts today. Um, That's something you can do by reading through Corinthians and Romans, I'm going to have some passages on the screen later if you want to write those down and look at those. But after Paul gives this partial listing of gifts, he reminds the church again, he says, it is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Gifts are not a buffet table. Gifts are not something where we just get to pick and choose and say, well, I want a little bit of this one, I want a little bit of that one, and a lot of that one. That's not how it works. Now, we can pray for gifts. We can ask the Holy Spirit to say, you know, I think this is the gift you want for me. We can pray and ask for that, but we also have to accept that might not be the gift that the Holy Spirit has for you. And so, are we willing to accept the assignment of gifts from the Holy Spirit, even if it's maybe one that you're like, I'm uncomfortable with that one. That one makes me feel, you know, a little weirded out, but that might be the gift the Holy Spirit has for you. And so we have to accept these spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit. So how do you know? This is one of the questions that always comes up when you talk about spiritual gifts is how do I know which spiritual gift or gifts, um, sometimes people have multiple, two or three that they're kind of stronger in, um, how do we know what spiritual gifts we have? And there is a whole industry and publishing arm of creating tests and quizzes of saying if you fill out all these multiple choice bubbles at the end it will tell you you have this gift and if you can't tell by the tone of my voice I don't think those are a good idea because what those are mostly is a personality test they're trying to say well if you have these personality traits if you have these characteristics then we associate those personality and those characteristics with this gift so that's what you should have But the reality is that's not how the Holy Spirit does it. 
because different personalities and different characteristics of our uniqueness of who we each are, exercising similar gifts mean we will exercise those gifts in slightly different ways, and that's what contributes to the uniqueness and the um, interdependability of the local church, that the multiple expressions of even the same gift are necessary within each body of the church. So how do we discover them? How do we figure them out if it's, if it's not as easy as just filling a, out a multiple choice test and hitting submit at the bottom? One of the main ways that I have seen spiritual gifts discovered uh, and kind of realized in my time in ministry and as a pastor and even before that is that they are often discovered in community when someone else recognizes the Holy Spirit ministering to others through you. Most of the time, this is significantly more accurate, more precise, and a better way of seeing it because you'll see someone in how they are interacting with someone, how they're caring for someone, how they're showing God's grace and love to someone. You might have this realization like, oh, I think that's the gift of mercy coming out. I think that's the gift of helps, or I think that's the gift of wisdom. And so then you can have a conversation with that person. Have you ever considered that you might have this gift? And they might say yes, they might say no, but then that starts a relational conversation where the gift can grow and develop, where you can start by learning about the gift. Now, one of the other ways of maybe recognizing a spiritual gift is that when you are serving in your spiritual gifting, unexpected results seem to keep happening. And what I mean by unexpected results is it's like you know, you said something that was maybe just a throwaway line of just, oh, you know, a piece of encouragement but that really impacted them deeper, way deeper, and was way more encouraging and caring and loving than you ever intended that to be. Those are moments when the Holy Spirit is working through you to say something to that person, to encourage them in a way. And so, that doesn't mean it's always going to work amazingly well the first time. If you think, well, maybe I have the gift of mercy, and you're talking with someone who's going through a difficult time, and you think, oh, suddenly they're going to be, all their problems are going to be solved. That's not how it works. But sometimes you might have the gift of mercy, for example, which is a gift of alleviating other people's suffering by bringing Christ into the moment that they are in. It might be one of those things where it just seems to happen in ways that are unexpected. That can be one of those indicators of a spiritual gift. And lastly, when you are serving in your spiritual gift, there is an ease and a joy in serving that someone without the same gifting doesn't experience. Now, note again, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying there is an ease to it. There is a way that you just, you know, you feel encouraged when you have been walking with someone through a difficult situation. There is a joy that comes from the Spirit when we are serving within our gifts. And that is not a joy that will always be present. There will be times when serving in our giftings is incredibly difficult and hard, and we have to lean in and trust and rely on the Holy Spirit, but it's one of those indicators. But something about spiritual gifts that we have to remember is that many spiritual gifts are also spiritual disciplines that every follower of Jesus still needs to learn. And I've used the gift of mercy as a little bit of an example here. And the gift of mercy is one where we can bring Christ's presence in to alleviate someone's suffering. The gift of mercy is not a gift that I have. I'm, I'm not a great, compassionate person to sit with someone. And 
but for me, it's still something that I love to do and to walk with people through situations, but for me, that is a discipline to learn. It's not a spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit is always empowering, but it is a discipline to learn. Now, not every gift works this way, but we can't say, I don't have the gift of mercy, so I can just be heartless and uncompassionate towards anyone. That's not what we can do. That's, we're missing the point if we say that. Because when God is working in our spiritual gifts, He's also working to shape and grow and develop us. And so it also might be the case that maybe I just haven't discovered that I have that gift and I've been fighting it and resisting it. And so you can't always take it as saying, well, I don't have that gift, I can just dismiss that area of our lives. Because the goal as a follower of Jesus is to become more Christ-like. And Christ, in the Gospels, we see Christ exercising all of the spiritual gifts at different times. So it is still a goal that we as His followers need to lean in towards too. Now, I mentioned before that sometimes spiritual gifts aren't used well. And you may, even sitting here at this moment, hearing this topic of spiritual gifts, feel a bit of stress or feel a memory coming up of a time when maybe someone used the spiritual gift or they said they were using a spiritual gift, and so you felt obligated, you had to follow their advice, but it wasn't the right advice for the time. Now, all spiritual gifts have both healthy and unhealthy expressions. And if we are not healthy in our walk with Christ, we may be prone to using our spiritual gift in unhealthy ways. And especially that happens if we don't have the right foundation for our gifts. If we're just trying to use a spiritual gift out of our own means and resources, we may have, you know, I've, I've heard one pastor call it a misfire, where we try something, but it just doesn't work. But sometimes those can have an unintended consequence on someone else. If we say to them, for example, the gift of prophecy, which is a gift of knowledge, of sometimes the Holy Spirit gives insight and wisdom and knowledge about a current situation or even maybe a situation coming up, and you may have misheard it, but you tell someone, oh, I, you know, I, I think this is what's happening. And then they make a massive life change because of what you told them, but you misheard them. And so that's an issue with spiritual gifts and why spiritual gifts need a community around them that we discern and decide and we figure this out together as a community. And this was part of the problem in the Corinthian church. This was part of the problem of why Paul had to write this longer teaching about spiritual gifts to the church of Corinth. And, you know, it's a good thing that that problem happened, that Paul wrote about this, that now we have this letter and we as the church 2,000 years later can learn from the mistakes of the Corinthian church. And so Paul writes about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. And right in the middle of that is 1 Corinthians 13. And this is a passage that we have often heard in a specific context. It's a passage that we often hear most, hear most common at a wedding. And we he hear this description of love that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. And it is a beautiful description of love that I'm going to read in just a moment. But if we think this passage only applies to weddings, we've misunderstood what Paul is doing, because Paul did not write this passage with weddings or marriage in mind at all. And we can tell that because we start this passage at 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. But if we go back and we start at verse 1, we recognize Paul had a very different intent in this description of love. 
He says this, he says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. Then he says, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. That's the part we don't read at a wedding for pretty obvious reasons. And then Paul writes this right in the middle of his instructions about spiritual gifts. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. This is the foundation that needs to be at the center of any understanding of spiritual gifts, that our love for one another forms the basis and foundation of how we use our gifts. If we are using our spiritual gifts, and the, the person that we are walking with, that we're talking to, that, is, that we're in community with, is not experiencing it as love, then we have misused our spiritual gifts. So how do we do that? How do we do that as a community of faith? How do we dive into understanding this love being the foundation of our faith? And I think part of it means we need to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. We need to look at the bigger picture that God, God's love for us led Him to step into the world, to give up His divine privileges, to live in relationship with humanity, to give Himself up as a sacrifice to create a new covenant and a new community, to create His ecclesia here on earth so that we could achieve God's purposes. That love that God has for us needs to be the foundation for any use of spiritual gifts and, frankly, is the basis for any form of community and friendship that we could have with anyone. Do we love them? Do we seek the best for them? Do we care for them? Do we want them to experience God's love the way we have experienced God's love? See, this is why I'm, I'm putting this in a series talking about spiritual gifts in a series about the church. Because being the church, remember, the ecclesia, the assembly, the people with a common purpose, has always been about more than doing something at a church building or a church service. At the time when Paul is writing this letter, church buildings didn't exist, and they wouldn't exist for a couple more centuries. The gatherings of the church just matched the social customs of what any social gathering was, with one key exception. The gathering of the church, of the followers of Jesus, was the primary and only place where people of different social classes and different ethnic backgrounds were gathered and mingled together. It was part of why it was viewed uh, so kind of strangely by some of the political leaders because they couldn't understand how these followers of Jesus would have wealthy people and middle class and lower class and slaves all gathering together and sharing in something together. That just didn't happen in the first century. But being the church today means that we need to recognize that church is a whole lot more than what happens inside these walls. Church happens, the assembly happens whenever we are in contact with one another, 
whenever we are encouraging one another, whenever we are sharing parts of our lives, whenever we're praying with one another, whenever we're talking about our faith, even just talking about the the struggles of day-to-day life with one another, those are opportunities to be ministering the gospel and ministering love to one another. And so, all spiritual gifts can be used to minister and build each other up in faith, both within the church's gatherings and beyond the church's gatherings. And this is something, like I said before, that I think I missed when we talked about this in 2019 because we put too much focus on gifts within the church gatherings, within the way when we gather together as a community of faith. And, and it, I don't think this was an intentional oversight, but I think we missed out a little bit when we talked about it before in recognizing that gifts have this beyond-the-church quality of them, that gifts, I think, almost most commonly happen in relationships and conversations with one another. And so, I want to pose this question to us as a community of faith and to those of us that are joining online or listening later on the podcast. This is still a question for us to ponder and wrestle, is are you willing to discover and develop your spiritual gifts, learning to use them in community to show love to build up the ecclesia? Are we willing to keep that as the foundation of any understanding we have about spiritual gifts, that I am learning this so that I can use what the Holy Spirit has equipped me with to encourage and show one another love, to build up the church as a whole. And I don't mean the church of Grand Valley or the churches of Brandon. I'm talking about the whole church, big C, community of faith that stretches across denominations, across countries, as we are all united in a common faith in Christ. So, are we willing to put in that work an effort to discover our spiritual gifts. And maybe you might be sitting here and you know some of your spiritual gifts. Are you willing to put in the time and the effort to seek the Spirit, to learn how to use those gifts well, to learn how to use those gifts better, to go deeper in our understanding of how to recognize them? And so, I don't do this often, but I'm going to assign a little bit of homework, and I'm not really going to check up on you or, or you know, send out a follow-up, um, but I have a couple of scripture passages that I want to share with you, and you can take a picture of the screen, or if you go to YouTube, it's in the video description below. But if you want to read more and discover more on spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, don't skip over 13. Don't skip over that foundational love. It is critical for understanding what Paul writes in 12 and 14. Or Romans 12, 1 to 16, and Ephesians 4, 1 to 15. Now, there's other portions in Scripture where spiritual gifts come up and and talk about, but these are kind of the big ones, the big passages to start in. Or if you even want to, and maybe you're someone that likes to listen to podcasts, um, we don't have video of them online, but if you go to mygrandvalley.ca slash gifts, that'll take you to the first of the two sermon series. Or if you go to um, the same URL slash super, that takes you to the second series that we did about spiritual gifts from two years ago. Um, And the intent of me sharing this with you is saying that it is up to each one of us to have a responsibility to seek out our spiritual gifts. It's not something that someone else can do for us. They can walk with us. They can teach us. They can take us along. They can mentor us. But someone else can't implant your spiritual gift into you. Only the Holy Spirit does that, and only us ourselves can lean into to develop and grow it in us so that we can serve one another. And so, if we want to be a church beyond these walls, 
We have to look for ways to connect and serve one another that goes beyond our Sunday gathering. And right now, as you know, we're living in this massive upheaval and change in society, this is something that is more difficult than normal. And let's just address that, accept that, and say, yeah, we're living in a time period where it is hard to maintain relationships, to maintain community. We're living in a time period where I, I think almost everyone feels some level of relational disconnect from the people in their lives, and we're all searching for ways to do that, but it's kind of hard to take that first step. And so one of the things that, that has you know, inspired me about Scripture in some ways is that Paul used the best of the technology available to him to encourage churches at a distance. He wrote letters that traveled on Roman roads. And we don't think of roads and letters as technology, but that was groundbreaking technology in the first century. Something that shifted and changed the world was the idea we could build roads to make travel happen. And so today we have so many more methods of being in contact with one another. Even this, that we can stream this online and people can gather and join with us from the comfort of their home or from wherever they are. And, you know, we've had, I, I, I'm curious why, but like we've had people from other countries and other side of the world watching our services online. And I kind of would like to maybe meet, you know, send me an email. I think that would be cool to connect with you. But as a community of faith, as a church, we are not bound by a physical location. The message of Christ has never been bound by a physical location. The work of the Holy Spirit has never been bound by a physical location. None of the tools and abilities that we have today were available to Paul at the time. And I think that might have actually been a good thing because if Paul could have picked up a telephone and phoned the church in Corinth, we wouldn't have these letters to learn from today. And so, how will we as a community of faith seek out meaningful connections and spiritual growth? And will we accept that that is a responsibility each one of us has to choose for ourselves? So, where are we looking for connection? Where are we looking for opportunities to use our spiritual gifts if we know what they are? Or if this whole concept of spiritual gifts just feels like one big question mark, are you willing to dive in to learn about them? to see and figure out what might the Holy Spirit have for me, because that promise is that the Holy Spirit has gifts for everyone. No one gets a pass on this. So, let me take a moment and let's pray together as we bring our service to a close. God, You know the way that You created us. You know the way You wired each one of us, and You know the gifts that You have that You are waiting to give to us the gifts that you are waiting to develop in us so that as a community of faith, as messengers of your message of love, that we would be able to share that. And not just here within these walls, not just here within this location, but in our conversations with people in whatever format that might take these days. But Lord, would you be working in us to develop and help us understand the spiritual gifts you have equipped us with so that we can minister to one another that we can share your grace and your love and your hope with one another, and that ultimately we can lead people to know who you are, to experience your love, to experience your salvation, to experience your peace. And so, God, I just ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.